Welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast, ClearCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates in our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. Hello, hello, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Keller, and today our guest is joining us again on ClearedCast. So Simone B., who joined us last year, you can search for that episode called Unlocking Success in GovTech Insider Tips to Making Over 200K and Navigating the Cleared Job Search. And you shared a ton about your story and how you were able to climb up the ladder in this industry from a really young age. So in that one, we chatted about some tricks for the job search and some myths that needed debunking. But this time, we're going to dive into a little bit more into the national security tech industry and really talk about some of the hottest GovTech jobs that pay really well. So Simone, thanks again for joining me to share some of your insights with our listeners. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me back, Katie. I'm excited to be back to share all of my insights and just things that I'm seeing in GovTech for 2024. Right. And like I said, you have a lot of experience. So first, let's talk a little bit about where you're at right now. So tell us uh, more about what kind of work you're doing and how you hope to make your impact in the GovTech space and maybe any side hustles that you're willing to share. So I did take a break from my job. So I did resign back in September. So I was a federal technical account manager at a startup called Exonius. So Exonius Federal Systems. And that was great while I was there. I was there for a little over 12 months. And um, now what I'm doing is really taking a break, taking some time out to focus on some more certifications, also building up my business as well. So the main certification that I want to get is the CISSP. And I'm thinking about maybe getting the CAS certification as well. And then I'm launching a GovTech staffing firm too. So I'm launching that within the next few weeks. So that should be great. You know, my goal and my mission is to help as many people get into GovTech as possible because there's so many different tailwinds for people to get into this industry now. And I think that is the best time to get in. So I don't know if you saw that executive order came out about the direct hiring authority to be able to hire more IT professionals, AI professionals, and cyber professionals. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I think it's a great time. Right. Well, and the National Cyber Director recently, you know, talked about maybe relieving some of the degree requirements to get more folks into cyber, which honestly, like, I'm totally on board for because I know that there's really a need for candidates, particularly within the cleared space. Right. And I mean, it kind of sounds like it's really important to understand within your own career when you kind of need to take a step back, maybe from full-time work and really lean into those side hustles and what your passions are. So it sounds like you've been kind of evaluating your goals and I'm so excited to see what's next for you. But the commercial tech industry is obviously different from government for a number of reasons, like including processes, rules and regulations, and pay, to name a few. But I read about software and cloud architects, developers, network or info security types, DevOps engineers, uh, machine learning and AI, really making the most amount of money. And so it obviously de depends on location and cost of living. But 
What do you think are the highest paying tech jobs maybe outside of government? Yeah, I would say the highest paying tech jobs outside of government are still software development. Of course, AI. I mean, I've seen some AI roles that are paying over half a million dollars a year. And I believe that's like base salary. Total comp is more closer to 3 million a year, which is insane, right? So, but those are the best of the best in AI, you know, pushing the technology forward. I already said cyber, cloud, of course, cloud and DevOps. There's DevSecOps as well. I would say those are the highest paying for sure. So, you know, when it comes to people getting into roles that are outside of, of government technology, you know, I don't have experience with that, but I know it's a completely different world when it comes to somebody trying to break into the commercial tech industry, you know, in the non-public sector. Well, and especially with the pandemic, I know that we saw from a job seekers perspective, like people hopping out of the security clearance world into the commercial tech space to Mm -hmm. maybe get that half a million dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But so let's talk about security clearances then. And if that's maybe a level up for your pay potential, would you say that Mm -hmm those positions in the commercial tech are the same high paying positions for government and what do you think are the maybe top five paying jobs in, you know, the cleared industry or gov tech? Right. Well, of course, you know that in gov tech, they don't pay as much as, as you would get in the commercial industry working at a big tech or fang company, but there are ways for you to still make a lot of money, right? So like AWS, they pay a $45,000 mission bonus for people who have their full scope polygraph clearance, right? So, and that's on top of everything else. So you have your base salary, your regular AWS bonus shares and the mission bonus, right? So there are ways to make more. And then I also say definitely like if you're in cyber and then you have a full scope, that's going to allow you to make more money too. And then also if you do like what I did, which was go work overseas and that exponentially increases your income, right? So that's ways for you to to definitely make more money in GovTech if you don't want to go and work at other places. But I would say, you know, the clearance, as we all know, is the most valuable piece to working in this space because not everybody has a clearance, not everybody wants to get a clearance. And then, you know, it's it's also only for, for specific people, right? So not everybody can get one. Well, and I know that I hear from recruiters all the time within the cleared industry, like they really are after those secret squirrels that have the polygraph. And I feel like for listeners, it's important to note, like, I hear from job seekers sometimes, oh, like, nobody's going to sponsor me for a polygraph. There are certain agencies that maybe don't have a backlog on on their schedule for folks sitting for the polygraph that will, you know, sponsor that polygraph. And so since you talked about working overseas, and I know that in our last episode, you talked about this a little bit you can make a lot of money doing that. And so would you be able to speak to maybe some of the like nitty gritty parts of that for maybe listeners who haven't worked overseas previously? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I I first want to talk about how there is a huge misconception about companies not sponsoring for full scope polygraphs, right? So something that a lot of people don't know is that a lot of these jobs, if they stay open for too long, especially on the government contractor side, right, they don't get paid. So the government contractor companies do not get paid by the government if that job is unfilled. So if a role has been sitting on one of these websites for two months, three months, I've seen some roles sitting on the websites, on the on the career sites for 12 months, 
if you apply and you're the most qualified, trust me, they will sponsor you, right? So there was a time where when I was coming back from overseas um, from Taiwan, I had ended up applying to essentially the exact same role, but it was Raytheon. They had uh, they were a sub on it, and Lockheed was a sub on it as well. They both gave me offers for the exact same position, and they both were going to sponsor my full scope polygraph, right? So you are able to do that, even though the job posting said that they weren't sponsoring. The job posting said you already had to be cleared, but I applied to it anyway, and they're like, "Hey, yeah, we'll we'll bring you on. We'll put you through the process." But then the pandemic hit. And, you know, that backlog got super long. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I can't wait like 18 months. At that time, they didn't even have an ETA on when it would possibly be done. So I was like, okay, well, and that's how I got to Fort Hood. Back to overseas, right? And how you can get overseas and become an overseas government contractor. So um, what I did overseas, I was a radar system engineer for the people who don't know. And basically with that, I was working on different forward-based radars. I was working on UAVs, so Global Hawk. Uh, so I was working on these different programs and basically like if anything happens with the system, you're the person responsible to analyze the issue, fix it and get the system back up and running. Right. So when it comes to getting these jobs overseas, uh, you already have to have a clearance for the most part. For most of the roles, you, you already have to have a clearance. For a lot of the radar system engineer roles, you already have to be internal. So that that's specific to Raytheon and a lot of other contractors that I know. Like, you know, they usually hire internally because they want you to already either be familiar with their system or be able to quickly deploy you overseas. So Raytheon, they'll hire somebody internally and they'll deploy you overseas within 30 days, right? So, you know, it's hard to get somebody from the outside in that quick. But when I was on Global we did hire, I think, two or three engineers that were outside of the company. So I think that is changing some. But there are companies like Vectris that will sponsor your clearance and allow you to go overseas, even if you don't have a clearance whatsoever. So if you go onto Vectris's website, you can look on there and you can see they have different entry-level roles. I actually just did an interview with one of my previous uh, clients. I had a consultation with him in 2019, and he had ended up getting um, a help desk role where another person that I know, she brought him on and he got his, um, I believe it was his CI poly, he ended up getting for a help desk role in New Mexico. And then he applied to the role with Vectris. It was an entry-level cybersecurity role. He didn't have any cyber experience, just help desk and security plus. And he was making $269,000 a year in, I believe it was Kuwait, Kuwait or Qatar overseas. So, you know, it's, it's a lot of money to be made. And the reason why it's a lot of money to be made is because when you go overseas, you have your base salary and then you have an uplift for it being difficult to staff people, right? So they, they have a hard time getting people to go overseas. So you typically get 15% just for it being hard to find people that actually want to go and work there. And that will stay for 12 months because there are a lot of people that go overseas and then after a month or two months, they're like, hey, I don't want to do this. I'm going back home. I'm done. Yeah, yeah. And it's and sometimes it's not that bad, right? Sometimes it's not that bad. But when I was in Taiwan, we actually worked on a mountain. And I had one coworker. He was, after two months, he was like, I don't want to live on a mountain anymore. He was like, I'm done. I'm going home. So there were, and then some people don't even make it out of training. 
They're just like, they get in their head right. and then they don't even make it overseas. And then, so also back to like the, the pay structure and, and why you get paid so much, depending on where you're at, you might get hazard pay. So it, sometimes it's not like a war zone or anything, but you'll still get hazard pay. So that could be an additional 30, 40% on top of that. And then you also get um, overtime. So a lot of the positions overseas, usually you're working at least 50 hours a week. Um, sometimes like when I was in Taiwan, I was working 92 hours a week. So I was basically living at work. It was it was kind of crazy. Right. And then you also have um, bonuses too. So you'll have, it could be a monthly bonus or a quarterly bonus or a yearly bonus. And it just all depends on the contract. And then you also get R&R. They pay you for that as well. And then your housing is paid for, your transportation is paid for, literally everything's paid for, right? And then you have foreign income exclusion, which makes it to where you actually don't have to pay any federal taxes up to currently is the first $120,000 that you make. So if you live in a state that doesn't have any state income taxes, and then you have your first $120,000 tax-free, you know, you're able to really do a lot with that money. Right. Well, and that was kind of the pool. I mean, I didn't staff for deployable contracts that were necessarily like in your world, but I focused on intelligence. And so uh, it was an easy pull for some people like, hey, it, like, and it was we worked on three month rotations, six month rotations, and then year long rotations, dependent on the location. And at that point, this was prior to the pandemic, we were working right. Kuwait, um, Qatar, Iraq and mm -hmm. Jordan. And so, mm -hmm. it, yeah, it, it, there is money to be made and it's not, not all cookie cutter, I guess, when you're looking for some of this deployable work. No, no. Yeah. It's all contract dependent. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all contract dependent. Every contract is different. Like, you know, I, I worked on so many different contracts with Raytheon, um, all internally, right? And they're all different. So every contract has a different pay. Every contract has different rules and regulations based on the country that you're in. Like, so for South Korea, they had different laws for all of their workers. They had different labor laws. So we could only work, but so much. And then after, um, once we did work a certain amount of money, we had to get paid time and a half. And that was something I never had before overseas, right? You, I was working 92 hours a week. I wasn't getting paid time and a half, right? So in South Korea, it was like, once you hit 40, everything after that's time and a half. So it's all contract dependent and location dependent. So, you know, when you're looking at these different offers, once you do get an overseas offer, you really have to ask the right questions and analyze and, and make sure that it is going to be a good contract. Cause, cause some contracts, they don't even really pay for your housing, right? So like Raytheon, everywhere we went, all of our housing was paid for, all of our transportation was paid for, but it's not like that at all of the, for all contracts. So it, it's all dependent. Right. Well, and these are really great questions to ask when you're interfacing with recruiters. And I know that we have a ton of deployable positions listed on clearancejobs.com, but I really want to talk about since the pandemic, you know, I, I saw a bunch of cleared candidates kind of switch to the commercial industry and then we saw layoffs. And so we've seen that national security or government really can be insulated from things like that. And what we see in the commercial tech space, I feel like, you know, month to month. And so that job security may overcompensate for a loss in salary. That I just think that's something important to note for those who may be toying with like, okay, I can make a lot of more money in the commercial space, but like, 
GovTech is a really insulated world to work in. Like, would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, I, I call it recession proof and layoff proof, right? So even if you did happen to get laid off, if you have the clearance and the experience, you should be able to find a new role, especially if you're applying on clearance jobs. I mean, you should be able to find a new role within a month, right? So, yeah. I mean, whenever I go on interview sprees, I'm usually able to get four offers within two weeks. So it's not that difficult, right? So it's like, but I, I also know a lot of people that work in the on the contractor side that will just take time off, right? Like how I'm doing. So, you know, you could take time off and then once you're ready to go back, you just start applying and boom, you know, you're right back at it because you still have your clearance. I think that when people do decide to switch from the government sector to the commercial space, they don't really take into account the recession proof and like layoff proof uh, aspect of this industry, right? Because, okay, yes, you could go work at a big tech company, but, you know, I think that there's a lot of things that big tech is facing that a lot of people don't talk about. So when you go to that side, one, an, a big issue that you have to deal with, and um, Apple was actually fined for this, they prefer to hire non-Americans over Americans. So you're facing that. Because it's cheap. Yeah, because it's it's cheaper. So H-1B visas, you know, you're facing that. Mm -hmm. um, then you also have people as well, offshore talent. So you have that to face. Then you also have AI that you have to face as well because they're laying off a lot of people because of AI. And even Amazon, their Alexa team, you know, they were working AI, but they got laid off because Alexa was not built on a LLM. So, you know, that's something that you have to face as well. And then you're also battling the best of the best talent for these positions, right? So I think that, you know, the peace of mind and the steady, stable, high salary that you get in the GovTech space, to me, it, it can't be beat, right? So if I ever worked at a big tech company or fang company, it would have to be in the cleared space, right? Because you can get a clear job with AWS. Uh, you can clear get a clear job with Microsoft, Google. They, they all have them. That's the only only way that I would personally do it because again, you know, they're not going to want to lay somebody off that either they pay to get their clearance or is somebody that's doing the cleared work for them, right? Because everybody at the company can't do it. No, and that's a great point. And that's why I love, you know, telling people to target those companies that kind of work in both because sometimes you do want to break, right? We're all human and sometimes need a break from wanting to work remotely is really the biggest thing. But let's talk about kind of pivoting careers, especially when your upward mobility has kind of plateaued or you have an outdated skill. So I see this a ton with folks that are transitioning out of the military, but really this can go kind of across the uh, job seeker landscape. And so it's, it's hard to pivot sometimes when you don't have the necessary experience that's required for some of these openings or the certifications that you kind of speak to. So how do you recommend listeners be able to pivot to some of these high paying gigs and GovTech? Yeah, I mean, I would always say start with the certifications, right? You have to have them. So, you know, we have the DOD 8570 and then they've moved over to the new uh, protocol, which they aren't really using. <laughs> if you look at the job postings, they all still say, you yeah. know, IAT level two certified or IAM level three, right? So I would always say start with the certifications. Start with that. Um, also start looking at, at the job postings. You can look at job postings on clearance jobs and you can see what are the basic qualifications, right? And start working on those skills, working on getting the basic qualifications. You can redo your resume. You can leverage AI. So I like to tell people to leverage ChatGPT to redo their resume. 
also start networking with recruiters as well. There are a lot of recruiters that are constantly hiring for roles that are sponsoring clearances, but you do have to be willing to relocate a lot of the times. So like, unless you're in an area like the DC area or you're in Colorado Springs or you're already in Boston, right? <laughs> Cause no, for whatever reason, nobody wants to work in Boston. So, but like, if you're, if you're already in those areas, then most likely you won't have to relocate, but that's a good way to get your foot in the door. And I like to tell people, you know, it's temporary. You don't, have to live wherever you're moving to forever. If if they pay for your relocation, you only have to be there for 12 months and then you have full freedom to go wherever you want, right? So I think people who are trying to transition, if they can't find anything in their area, just try to uh, be more flexible. And then also the government with their new DHA executive order, right? You know, they're looking to hire. So I've heard of some agencies that aren't even interviewing, right? So you could apply, you know, get your resume right for the federal government roles that you're trying to apply to, tailor your resume to those, start applying to them. And you never know. Like I said, I, I mean, I think it's, this is the best time to get into GovTech. It's the easiest time. And we have a lot of executive orders that are coming down to help people. So start with the certifications, do your resume network, and just apply as much as possible. And if you have the ability to go to in-person events, that's even better. Yeah. I was going to say industry events are super important when it comes to networking and not even like, it's not going to be an immediate hire event, hiring event, but you're networking for like the next six months or the next 12 months. Like that's what you should have in your head. And I love that you say be flexible because that is the follow the money just follow the money yeah that's the easiest way <laughs> yeah. to get into this industry yeah it's the, it's the easiest way to get in and it's the easiest way to stay in right so when when the pandemic hit you know my whole life changed so a lot of people don't know this i came back from taiwan literally i came back from taiwan november 2019 and everything shut down around march Right. So I had I had new contracts that I was supposed to be deploying to Qatar for. I had a two month contract that was going to pay 50,000 and I was going to be um, installing a new radar system out there in uh, Qatar that fell through. So I was not able to actually get to Qatar because the pandemic hit. And literally the day before I was supposed to leave, my manager calls and he's like, hey, Raytheon's too worried that you're just going to get like abandoned out there on the way to Qatar. So we have to cancel the flight. And then from there, had another nine-month contract come up, and the Air Force wouldn't let contractors fly on their planes then, right? So, you know, there's there's things that can happen sometimes, but the way that I was over, able to overcome that is by being flexible. So I went back home, you know, I did some remote work for Raytheon while I was at home, and, you know, they, they told me, they're like, hey, you know, you have two weeks until... You can, if you don't find something in two weeks, we're going to have to uh, lay you off because, you know, I was, I was doing overseas work. So I went on the internal website. I saw a position at Fort Hood for another um, senior radar engineer position. And I took that, right? So I called the hiring manager. I'm like, hey, are you still hiring? He said, yeah, can you go to Fort Hood tomorrow? I said, sure. <laughs> and mm -hmm. the, two days later, I was in Fort Hood, right? So because of the pandemic, you had to go through approvals and stuff. But two days later, I had moved to Austin, Texas, never had been there in my life. So, you know, sometimes you just have to be flexible. And I think that's the different side, right? Because I've, I've been overseas. That's pretty much what I do the most, right? I'm very flexible, able to move around. I'm, I'm okay with that. So, but even if you're trying to get into the industry, 
be flexible at first, be open-minded. They take care of you, right? They'll pay for your relocation package. They make sure you and your family are okay. So it's not like you're in a, a tough situation. Right. Well, and I've seen so many freaking sign-on bonuses that are like 50K mm -hmm. and then a retention bonus on top of that. So like follow the money. The government has a recruiting and retention problem. So use that to your favor right now when it comes to trying to break into this industry. And so I, I want to talk a little bit more about you, Simone. So 2023 was an incredible year for you. What I really loved watching. Thank you. You had some really cool brand deals with some big tech companies that work in government as well. And you were a guest on so many other podcasts aside from ours. And you became the VP of Blacks in Tech Atlanta. You moderated panels, you spoke at conferences, and you launched an interview series and hosted some really cool community events. So I want to talk about that interview series and tease to that here. Okay. But I also want to see what's next for Simone in 2024. Yeah. So what's next for me? I'm So like I said, you know, I, I love working overseas. So I'm looking for like a short term contract, one or two months, three months max. You got the itch. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, it's just something about it. I don't know. I I just love it. I don't know. I, I'm a creature of habit. So I really want to go back overseas, do like a one, two month contract. I did a vacation in Japan and, you know, I, I lived in Japan for almost two years. I was like, I, I want to go back overseas. Like even if it is short term, I want to go back overseas and do some radar system engineer work. So that's something that I'm, I'm looking to do. And then also, like I said before, you know, launching the staffing company. And then I'm also launching a GovTech conference, right? So this should be in DC. It, we're looking to have it in September, October, and it's, it's going to be massive, right? So it's going to be about 1,500 to 2,000 people in attendance. So it's going to be pretty big. So I'm, I'm excited to share that with everybody. And, you know, we're going to be hiring people there. So having recruiters, having government agencies, government contractor companies, we also will have um, technical workshops and keynote speakers. So it's going to be a great event to network and, you know, hopefully people can land their first GovTech job or, or get a better GovTech job, right? So, you know, that's the goal there. Love that. Yeah, that's really exciting. I love events like that. I am definitely a social butterfly, but I think before the interview, I said sometimes I need to decompress, but yep. I'm so excited to hear about this event. I'm so excited to see where you go in 2024. So Simone, thank you for joining me for this episode. For everyone listening, if you want to learn more about how you can get a job in GovTech or how to obtain a security clearance, you can always visit news.clearancejobs.com. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of ClearCast. Hit the subscribe button and share this episode with your friends and colleagues. For more security clearance updates and national security career advice, subscribe to news.clearancejobs.com. If you have an active clearance, refresh your profile and search cleared careers at clearancejobs.com. Yeah.